couple of words, please, before I preach. The first is another reminder of the Great Cross Currents program, which will take place here in March of 2006, featuring three of the most effective evangelical Christian leaders in the world today. It will be a time of matchless opportunity for us at Providence and in the Hilton Head community. I would encourage you to secure your tickets, $25, all day long plus lunch, uh, March the 25th, a great day uh, for Christ in our church and in our community. Uh, There are tables outside the sanctuary where you can make arrangements for your own presence here on that great day. In addition to that, during these Sundays before Christmas, I am going to be taking a look at the individual personalities who are a part of the Christmas story. I want to begin today by looking at the innkeeper. Join me, please, in prayer. Let us pray. Lord, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Amen. The inn at Bethlehem has become the most famous inn of them all, not because of what happened there, but because of what might have happened there, but didn't. How does the Bible put it? Oh, you know the words by heart. She brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, for there was no room for them in the inn. No room. Now, interestingly enough, Virtually every retelling of the Christmas story includes as one of the characters the innkeeper at Bethlehem, even though the Bible never makes any direct mention of such a person. However, the fact of the matter is this Bethlehem innkeeper has become a kind of symbol for the inhospitality of the human spirit. Whenever we think of the inn at Bethlehem and the innkeeper in charge of that inn, we are moved to ask, why is there no room in life for the Lord of glory? Why is he shut out of so many human hearts? Now, I know uh, that you came here today wanting perhaps to feel the rosy glow of the Christmas spirit, wanting perhaps to hear some syrupy, sweet version of the Christmas story. I'm sorry, I cannot give you that, at least not today. Because you see, the Bible makes it absolutely clear that on the very first Christmas, in the very first place, to which God in Jesus Christ came on this earth, he was turned away. And I believe that in this Christmas season, it behooves us to try to understand why. Perhaps the innkeeper's problem uh, was misread opportunity. This innkeeper, though he is not mentioned in the Bible, nevertheless, has been discussed for 2,000 years. Why? Simply because he missed his opportunity when it came. Oh, to be sure, uh, it was that first Christmas 
a time of harried activity for him. His inn was like a hive at swarming. And so when there came yet one more knock upon the door of the inn, uh, there was no way that he could have known that what was about to happen was in fact the most important thing that would ever happen to him in his life. It is amazing when you stop to think about it, isn't it? That time frequently is best described not in terms of its duration, but in terms of its content. You see, one can actually live more in a day than in a week. Some centuries have quite literally been shaped by events which took place in a single day. So many times, so much is won or lost by what we do with moments of opportunity that come our way in life. Well, when the knock came on the door, the innkeeper simply responded, sorry, no room. It was a moment of incredible opportunity, but he missed it when it came. Now, I have to believe that if he had only known the identity of his potential guests, if he had only known that the baby to be born later on would divide all of human history in two, and that from that point on, throughout the centuries, the world would date all of its letters by what happened on that night. Oh yes, I believe that if he had known all of that, he would have found some room somewhere in that inn of his. He would have made some arrangements to be sure. But you see, he didn't know who this traveler with his wife burdened down with an unborn child didn't know who they were or how important they were. And so consequently, he missed his moment of opportunity when it came. And yet it serves to remind us, I think, that we never know in life when God may be knocking upon the door of our hearts and our lives. Or you see, we tend in life to be attracted to shiny things, showy things, noisy things. We believe that greatness ought always to come clothed in garments of grandeur. Yes, we tend to think that if God is going to show up in our lives, it ought to be in an overwhelmingly impressive way. And yet, that is not the way God chooses to come to us. Instead, a stable, a manger, some straw, peasant parents, a few animals, and a newborn child. Who would ever see God in such ordinary, commonplace things? But do you understand that that is the way God always comes to us? He always comes to us in a way that we can, if we choose, ignore him or turn away from him or reject him or shut him out. When God comes to us in a hungry woman or a lonely man or a confused teenager or a neglected child, it's always so easy for us to ignore him as if he weren't even there. Child crying in a manger for heaven's sake. Who but our God would have chosen such a way to try to lay hold of the human heart forever? You see, our problem is we try to gild the story. 
We try to wrap it all up in splendor and grandeur and romance. The fact of the matter is, you cannot cover up the truth. That stable was a dirty, unromantic place. God comes to us in a way that we can, if we choose to do so, close the door in His face. God is reminding us of the true reality of life, that the holy things are the lowly things. The mighty things are the little things. This is the way God comes to us in this world. Born small, in a sorry stable, rejected, shut out. Only a few lowly shepherds, only a handful of wise men possessed enough insight to see in it all the coming of the glory of God in the birth of a child. Therefore, note this down, please. It takes a wise, open, humble, receptive heart to recognize God when He knocks on the door of our lives. So many, many times, Jesus is shut out because people do not recognize Him when He comes. Or perhaps the innkeeper's problem was misdirected desire. You see, Christ was shut out by His very own people, the people of Bethlehem. He was shut out by His very own people then, and He still is. Because the fact of the matter is, there are many hearts, many lives, where Jesus is just not welcome. That's the tragic note of the Christmas story. The rejection of the way of Jesus Christ and the revolutionary changes He brings to human lives. I don't know if you know it or not, but... There is a new book out in the bookstores written by the television anchorman John Gibson. The book is entitled The War on Christmas. In that book, John Gibson lays out in rather shocking detail the concerted effort being made in the society of which we are a part to remove Jesus Christ from the center of the Christmas story and the heart of the Christmas season. In fact, as you read the pages of his book, you will be astounded to see all of the things that are happening all over this country, all of it directed, not at other faith systems and their practices, no, only at Christianity and at the one who stands at the center of our faith. John Gibson goes on to say, that the war on Christmas actually is a war on Christians. And behind it all is the rejection of Jesus Christ and the revolutionary changes Jesus Christ brings in life. Of course, that's nothing new. It's as old as Calvary. Dear friends, if you do not see what happened at Bethlehem's Inn as a foreshadowing of what happened on Calvary's cross, then you have missed the real story of Christmas. You see, when God chose to come to this earth in Jesus Christ, He began to speak the Word of God to the world. 
And the people who heard him then, when they heard what he was really saying, demanded that he get out. And ultimately, they actually nailed him to a cross because they did not wish to yield to his demand that his way is the only way. That's the real tragedy of the Christmas story, that so many people, so many people in our time today say to Jesus Christ, no room. Make no mistake about it. When Jesus comes into a life, he changes that life. He demands repentance. He seeks reversal. Or we can fool ourselves a lot of the time. We can fool other people some of the time. We cannot fool Jesus Christ for a single moment. He shines the searchlight of his purity right into the dark and shadowed places of our lives. He changes the way we live and the way we love. Ah, but there are some people who do not wish to make the changes he requires. Instead, they wish to pursue their own sinful and selfish desires. And so they say to him, no room. Here is the great message of Christmas I want us to grasp today. We need to make room for Jesus Christ here. In our politics, yes. In our business, yes. In our learning, yes. In our playing, yes. In our schools, yes. In our homes, yes. And most of all, in our hearts. We need to quit fooling ourselves that someday we'll find room for him. We'll never find room. We have to make room. And we need to make room for him now. We need to choose between the things in life that don't really matter and the one thing in life which matters above all else, Jesus Christ. Which brings me to Wally Perling. Wally Perling was nine years old, lived in a town not far from Atlanta, Georgia. Wally Perling was, as we say these days, intellectually delayed. He was not as smart and bright as the other youngsters his age. Ah, but everybody loved Wally Perling because Wally Perling himself was so gentle and loving. Well, the big event each year in that little town where he lived was the children's Christmas pageant. A couple of years ago now, Wally Perling wanted to be a participant in that Christmas pageant. He actually wanted to be a shepherd. You see, the shepherds had a number of lines to say in the course of the pageant. Wally Perling just couldn't learn the line. And so they made him the innkeeper instead. He had only one line, two words, no room. The teacher said to him, now Wally, when you say that line, you have to look and sound very stern and very tough. And so Wally Perling practiced and practiced and practiced. No room, no room, no room. Night of the pageant arrived. And there came that point in the pageant where Mary and Joseph arrived at the door of the Bethlehem Inn. Joseph knocked on the door, and then Wally stepped out, looking very stern and very tough. Joseph said, my wife is about to give birth to a child. We need a place to rest a while. Wally Perling then turned and looked at Mary. And then there was one of those long silences that sometimes occur in children's Christmas pageants. 
And this silence went on long enough so that people in the audience began to fidget. So much so that they didn't even notice Wally Perling. You see, Wally Perling suddenly wasn't looking so tough and stern anymore. Wally had big tears in his eyes. And suddenly he blurted out, I was supposed to say no room, but you can have my room for the baby. What does the Bible say? The Bible says, a little child shall lead them. Pray with me, please. God on high, hear my prayer. Enable us in this Christmas season not to make the mistake of thinking we'll find room sometime, but instead to make room for Jesus in our hearts, in our lives, and in our world. Amen.